Hello, my name is Lila Gribben. Hello, my name is Julie Liggett. And the title of this episode is Finding a Way Through Together. This is a podcast about ordinary people who make up the church. To find out more or share your story, head to ordinarypodcast.com. I've been married to Andrew for 10 years now, and we have been blessed with three children. And um, before I had the children, I did work full time um, in a, a different sector, and I took quite a few years off employment um, really when they were young and that was sort of the right time right thing for us at the time but then a few years ago um, I went back to work as a support worker for a charity um, who help women and children who are victims of domestic violence and that really I took it as a job initially because I had an interest but um, the work really fascinated me and I realized that I did like working in that sector and I really realized it was quite underqualified for a lot of things and when I pinned down what I wanted I did want to be a counsellor and I wanted to be able to go deeper and help people and um, that started me back into education again then and so I am studying at the minute for my counselling degree with the SRC and I volunteer for the NSPCC um, and that's really where I'm at and where my kind of interest in this kind of topic comes from and what about you Julie? Um, well, I have been married to Ian, I think it's about 10 years okay. as well. <laughs> um, I've uh, two children um, and uh, five stepchildren. Um, so we've, we've busy lives that way. I've worked um, in counselling for 18 years. Um, my route is quite unusual in that most people who come into counselling have been in another career beforehand whether it's teaching support worker or whatever it may be and then retrain um to go on into counseling i wasn't sure what i wanted to do i wanted to help people i knew i wanted to work with people i studied psychology and sociology and thought i wanted to be a social worker but every social worker i met advised me not to go into social work um and then i heard a bit about counseling and that was something that really i wasn't very familiar with i didn't know an awful lot about but I, I did an, an RSA course at that time and really enjoyed it. it was, I, was, I did it while I was doing my degree and thought this is what I want to do. Um, went on, did my postgrad in counselling and uh, went in mainly at that point working with, with children and young people. I had a heart for doing that, but also I was quite young at the time in counselling terms. I was 22 and felt that how could I sit and counsel an adult when I, you know, had very little life experience as I thought and I didn't fully understand that it's not necessarily about having to be through the same things. It's about how you can um, connect with someone and, and understand their story. But that really was the start of my my journey, really was working with sort of mainly children and young people um, who had been impacted by separation and divorce where I started and then journeyed through that in different fields, working with adults and around addiction. And um, a lot of my work has also then been with young people in schools and really passionate about uh, people getting access to support at a time when they need it. And that, I suppose for me, I see counselling as a real privilege. It's something to have someone sit down and share their story with you and open up uh, sort of the, the deepest part of themselves such a privilege and that's why I'm still doing it sort of 18 years later and learn learning so much every day 
I learn from the people that I work with. I learn from the clients that I work with. Uh, that that learning never stops. I would agree with that. Yeah, just when you were saying there about um the privilege it is, um that's something that really strikes me. As much as I know I'm very young in my studies and I've mm-hmm. so much to learn and I'm yet to qualify, but that idea of someone sitting down to talk and to listen to you and just non-judgmentally just listen and to us it's almost seems simple, mm-hmm. but to a person who really has gone through something or is going through something and all they need is someone just to be there and let that relationship heal to a point it is an amazing thing and it is a privilege and it's something we maybe don't give enough credit for, just that face-to-face acknowledgement. Yeah, I think a lot of the research has shown, they've looked at what works in counselling and they're always trying to figure out what, what it is, you know, what makes a difference, what theory it is, what technique, skills, whatever. But a lot of it comes back to is the relationship. It comes back to that sitting with someone in that journey. It's been able to just be alongside someone and it doesn't happen. And I think especially life's getting busier and people are, are have got agendas. So to have someone who sits down and, and just wants, is there to listen, and doesn't necessarily have an agenda, doesn't have any expectations of you, isn't demanding anything of you. It's quite a unique experience for people. They don't really get that in life that, especially I find with, with young people that I work with, having someone who's going to sit there for 50 minutes and this is your time and uh, leaving it open for them to talk about, that, that's quite unique yeah. for them. And like you say, I think it is something that people don't understand how important that is. And that's, you don't need training to do that. You don't need specialist training to be able to sit down and listen Absolutely. to somebody and give them time and give them space. Absolutely. Like I said, I suppose I've been involved in counselling for for a while, and the when I started, there wasn't that many counselling courses. It wasn't something that uh, was readily available or that 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 I even really had heard of. My part of my passion is counselling in schools, and when I was at school, that wasn't there. Now, thankfully, my school experience was okay and didn't have that many difficulties. But a lot of my friends did and I kind of was a listening in ear for all of that and that may have been part of what led me into to go down the route of of doing counselling um, and becoming a counsellor. I think for me there has been a change in the whole field of, of mental health um, and I can I can say it but I suppose for me it's easier to speak from a particular perspective. I was if I look at it with, with children and young people particularly uh, when Counselling first went into schools, which is is about 11, 12 years ago. We were going into schools to talk about how can we get young people to use this? How can we get this young, this service uh, be accepted and to young people feel comfortable coming? And now the conversations I'm having with schools is how do we manage the waiting list? How do we deal with the demand that there is for the service? So in one way, it's great that... It has been so accepted and people see it just as, as, a, as a normal support mechanism. But another way, there is something that's going on in terms of the demand has been increasing, that people are needing more and more counselling. There's more and more support needed for mental health issues that are coming through. And that's right through from children, young people into, into adulthood um, and into, remember I worked on um, the Lifeline service. Uh, for a number of years and when I first started working on that what surprised me was the number of uh, 
older people, I'm talking people in their 70s and 80s that were phoning through to this suicide prevention helpline. And uh, so it, it's not a particular age range that is that is the problem. It, it, it goes right through. And for me, coming through for, for some of the older ones, it was loneliness. They were really lonely. And they had, their self-identity had been in the work that they did or what, what their purpose was. And now they were sitting thinking, I don't have I? a purpose. Who am yeah. I? And I felt that life wasn't worth living. And I, so I think the suicide rate among the elderly is actually higher than statistics show um, because it's put down to, you know, ill health or, you know, whatever it may be, rather than actually, you know, th- these are people that have you know, consciously made this decision to end their life. Um, and right at the other end, you're, fa- you're seeing uh, younger and younger uh, children self-harming. Um, you know, we've seen six-year-olds um, being referred into counselling for self-harm. And that is, it's just tragic to hear it. And, you know, seeing issues coming through at a younger age. And I think the difficulty is mental health services in general are just, it's all over the news about there isn't, and I get frustrated uh, watching at times because you'll have people being hauled over the coals because something's went wrong somewhere. And yes, we can always do better and we do need to link up more, but also the expectation is so high of of people, professionals, and the resources just aren't being put into it. Um, and I don't want this to start into, you know, storm it needs to be back into and get money into it. It's it's not about that. Um, partly it is, but there is a bit around just this expectation of uh, a few people are the answer when actually I do believe that everyone has a role to play. And sometimes if we look outside of our own sphere and look at what the needs of other people are, the everyday person can make a difference. And there are obviously some issues in mental health that do need a professional input. You know, those who are, you know, for me, mental health is on a continuum. Um, You know, it's not, uh, oh, people bad mental health and people you know it, it is continuum you can be anywhere along that continuum at any point in your life depending on internal um circumstances and external circumstances so you could be fine and then you get hit by life's problems and someone who is mentally healthy becomes becomes unhealthy um so i think if we understand mental health in that way and that it, you know this could happen to anyone so therefore it is everyone's problem yeah. Um and everyone is part of the solution. Yeah. I think for me that that is something that I'm starting to kind of really think about. You know, how do how do we equip people? Yes. Because I think that's the, that's the difference that we'll, you know, that we need to make. Where people are sitting thinking about, oh, well, that's I'm not trained, so I don't want to go there. Um, and so therefore they don't, and the silence increases, and that can often make it worse. Mm-hmm. Because when we think about things, other illnesses, not mental health, but if we think about cancers or, um, you know, some things that are kind of mainstream in the media as well, we're willing to talk about it and we're willing to be sad. But there is that stigma still where people feel, I don't know what I'm saying about mental health. I should just not say anything. And as you say, it is it is everybody's responsibility. And, you know, when 
I was reading statistics today from um, the Mental Health Foundation in the UK and their last survey was 2016. And they said that, you know, by their survey in adults, um, one in six will suffer a mental health problem, you know, a few times within their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And the, the most startling one for me was one in five adults have considered taking their own lives mm-hmm. at least one point. And I think that's that's a huge percentage mm-hmm. of our population. And we can't put it on professionals and counselling services and, you know, the NHS that, you know, that's on us. That's, you know, that's our family and friends. Mm-hmm. That's our neighbour. And I think that the more we talk about it and the more that we we, we recognise that this could happen and this likely will happen mm-hmm. at some point in my life, life will hit me, trauma will happen, bereavement will happen, um, life events, but people around me should be able to cope with that. Mm-hmm. And it's not a case of you'll be all right or, you know, just pull yourself together. And those awful things that really do make it worse. Yeah. Um, and we're fighting against that nearly. And I think, you know, I know I'm very, very new into this sector um, but I feel like the more and looking at history, the more people talk about it, the more it's just normal part of life, the easier it is to make progress. Mm-hmm. It's when we marginalize and we box out, that's when we have our problems. And, you know, if we're taking it from a biblical point of view, um, everything in the Bible will tell us to, to go help the hurting mm-hmm. and, you know, and the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. And, yeah. you know, these people who are vulnerable in our society, there's so much in the Bible that tells us to go around them. And it doesn't tell us to go and get a professional qualification mm-hmm. and help them. It says to go and help them and, you know, to meet them at the point of their need. And I feel like that, you know, for me, really, I feel the church, the big C church should be leading the way in that because we have the book that tells us how, how, to, how to help mm-hmm. um, and how to show healing and how, how to do these things. But unfortunately, it's maybe not. Um, and that's where maybe the secular world is maybe making an effort there. But, you know, I think there's just more... There's more there that the big C church could be doing for it. If you think about people with, for example, depression um, and what they will talk about in terms of the feelings that they experience, you know, among others, but they will maybe talk about isolation and loneliness and they will talk about maybe feeling unlovable and they will talk about feeling hopeless. They're all something that the church should be able to offer. You know, they there's that um idea that, you know, no one is ever alone. You've got the presence with you at all times. So connecting into that presence, connecting into a family that is church. Um that's so no one is, is journeying alone. You talk about the idea of hope of the nations, yeah. that hope that the church carries and, you know, Jesus is the basic, basic example of love. You know, we came and, and died on the cross and that that love that is gained talked about so often in, in the Bible. Part of that is also about bringing hope. You know, so, so you look at that and what we offered, but it isn't enough to sort of say, this is what, you know, Christians believe and this is what it, the need will need to see it in, in, action. in action. Yeah. And to experience that and be around it because whatever you're around, you absorb. Yeah. Um, and that's, the difficulty when people with mental health a lot of times they isolate themselves and they're in their negativity and that's what they're absorbing and it's so difficult to get in through the doors of a church um but when you get around people who are maybe with a different mindset presenting something different that's what you start you know it it starts to kind of rub Rub off yeah Yeah. absolutely absolutely and there's a verse i was reading last week um in the psalms that says that god put the lonely in families and 
in the context I read it, I was thinking about fostering and adoption, and I thought, you know, that is very suitable. But then I thought about that experience. So many people with depression specifically mm-hmm. came to mind, and it is such a lonely day. And ask people what depression is like, they will say it's very lonely. Mm-hmm. And to me, the church should still be that place of family. You know, if we say we are a church family, we need to mean that. And if someone's really your family, you're still going to be there, and you're going to push through that that isolation that they're putting up around themselves. And that's hard mm-hmm. and I sort of it makes me question why don't we push through what is it that stops us from actually coming around someone the way we would if they had broken a bone or if they had breast cancer or you know what is it that kind of holds us back and thinks I don't think I can just mm. put my, my arm around that sister or that brother because you know I don't know what that means to them um, and I think a lot of it is just fear fear of doing the wrong mm. thing fear of making it worse fear of of just not wanting to get involved because it's messy mm-hmm. and it's not clear cut. It's not like a bone that will heal. Yeah, something that and it's usually long term. Yeah, this is not something that uh, and that people think. Oh well, if if I do, then will they come expect too much of me? And how long will I have to commit to this for? And what if I can't be there all the time? Mm-hmm. And you know the what if, the what yep. if, the what if, and and so they kind of go, oh, I'll, I'll just not. And like you said, that there is a big fear of. Yeah. Oh, they need the professionals, or you know, what if this is more than what I can, I can yeah. offer, and you know, it's sometimes it's the simple things that actually makes the big, the big difference in someone's life. Absolutely, um, and experience, and that's someone who genuinely cares and wants to try to understand what it feels like to be where they're at, um, and that that's hard, uh, because if you haven't been through it, it is it is hard to understand um what depression feels like and I think that's why you get people saying oh just give yourself a shake you know oh you need to get out there and you need to do this and it's like you know the person sitting there going if it was that simple I would be doing it yeah um and I think that's part of the the difficulty is sometimes people try to simplify it too much um and not understanding that that is they're they're called complex mental health issues for a reason it is so complex um but then, on the other hand, sometimes people complicate it too much and what, you know, and, and in their hoods and then think that they can't do anything. So when, I'm just thinking, you know, when you were saying that, if we were, if someone's listening and they're thinking, well, I do want to help and I do want to be that good Christian, and I, but I really don't know, you know, what, sorts of things should I be thinking or should it be saying you know for me I would think you advise someone that if you want to help someone who is suffering with depression don't assume that you know go from the point of view that you don't know what that feels like and ask mm-hmm. so don't read up on google and see these wonderful you know cures and then say have you tried this mm-hmm. instead ask the person you know what is that like for you or what do you struggle with? Yeah. Or, you know, and just leave it open. And to a person who already feels lonely, that's actually quite a lifeline to be mm-hmm. able to say, this is what it's like for me. And not feel like you're coming with a presumption. Yeah. Um. What advice would you have for someone who's going to help? I think it, like you say, it's finding out what their struggle is and what it is that they need. Um. Because depression is different for different people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people who are, who are depressed and can't get out of bed, who can't go out of the house who really, really are low on other people who are functioning in some ways, but are just, they get out and, but the simplest task is exhausting. And, you know, they get home again and just collapse in a heap and, and, and can be in a crowd and feel so alone. 
Um, so it's understanding uh, you know, what it is, like you say, asking, um, you know, what, how does this impact on you? Is there anything that you know that, that helps? Is there anything that I can do to help? And around something like depression, you know, one of the things if you go for help is always trying, they call behavioural activation. It is trying to get into, I suppose it's setting goals and trying to achieve things because there is, you know, you know what it's like when you start to look around and thinking, oh, my house is a mess and mm-hmm. you start to feel overwhelmed and then somehow you clean out one drawer and you kind of feel like I'm getting on top of something. Yep. Yeah, I'm getting on top yep. of this again. So, you know, sometimes it is about the simplest tasks yeah. and, it's, and, it's, and it's baby steps. If someone's not able to go out, it's like, oh, well, I'll come around to you for coffee. And they're like, oh, well, the house is a mess. And like, Don't worry about that. Yeah. You know, we'll come around and we'll sit and then we'll maybe build up to be able to go out and go for a walk. Yeah. Um, you know, things that you, you just asking and trying to work out what it is that they need and and not putting on your cape and your underpants on the outside and yep. going in to rescue someone yeah. um, because you will get worn down if you think I am the one that's going to save them because you're not. Um, the only one that can do this is God, um, but also it's, it's and through, through that, the individual. And yeah. they're the ones that will um, have to do that. So if you're in and you're trying to pull them through it or you're trying yeah. to do everything for them or do it alone, um, you're going to get worn out. So, you know, I was always say as counsellors, we have supervision. Um, so we hear some really tough stuff um, on a daily basis, but we don't do that alone. We have a supervisor who then we go and talk to and talk about what we're doing and how things are impacting on us. I have a line manager who I can do that with. I have colleagues who I can do this with. So I don't try to take on things on my mm. own and carry that on my own. If something's really bothering me, I'll talk to somebody about it. So that can be, I suppose, a little bit of a warning for people if you are helping. Um, make sure that you have support yourself and yeah. that you use that and you, you do look at your self-care. Because um, that's really important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. The, the phrase, you, know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's it's... Being honest with yourself and remembering that, as you say, you're not going to deceive someone. If someone has a mental health illness, they may come in and out of that throughout their whole life. Mm-hmm. It's a journey. It's not something you're going to cure or I'm going to cure by yeah. being the right person mm-hmm. or saying the right things. So it's knowing what your ability is. And if it is just to be able to ask a good question and to give them some time when they're comfortable, that that might be all mm-hmm. you're required to do in that process. Um, and I think that's really important to think if everybody done that for one person in their life, how different would yeah. society look if you had one person who genuinely just said what's your day been like mm-hmm. and you could really be honest and say what you struggled with and tell them you struggled with a big task of going to the shop come at home and explain the anxiety around that mm-hmm. how how much easier would it be for people that suffer with yeah. those things it would be yeah it makes such a difference and that idea of being able to work through the disappointment as well because like you say it's a journey it's you know very few people go through a difficult sort of um mental health some people do it's a one-off and they're fine for most it is something that they have to battle with and may go through periods where their their mental health is not is not good um and so there is that bit where understand that there's a disappointment you know that time of disappointment when they're thinking oh i've come through the other side of it and they're maybe fine for a while and then you know there's this relapse and and sometimes christians could do to that oh you know, I failed or, yeah. you know, and, and 
especially with questions with mental health difficulties, they kind of think, oh, my faith mustn't be strong enough because I believed and I was healed and now I'm, you know, I've got a relapse and, you know, obviously my faith isn't strong enough and there's something wrong with me. And, and I kind of think, well, would you think that if it was cancer, uh, you know, that you've been cured from and it came back and would you think, oh, well, I must have done something wrong and my faith's not strong mm-hmm. enough. It's, it just is, there is times in, we're in life because, like I said, external events can happen. It can do with our brain chemistry. There's so many different things that yeah. are beyond our control. And that is, a, and that's part of it is to deal with that disappointment when you kind of go back into those, those sort of feeling, um, whether the anxiety kind of comes back, you struggle with something, whether it's depression or whatever, the sort of mental health eating any of those kind of um things that people um go through and and battle with daily yeah Yeah. i think that is you really hit the nail on the head with the faith thing there because as much as you and i would say we know that it's nothing to do with faith illness and things happen and it could happen to either one of us and we have faith and there are those in society and in churches who will tell people that they need to pray harder or that Mm -hmm. that's their faith or they need to cut out certain sin from their lives and and that kind of um, teaching is so destructive because we know it's so false and we know that um, our illnesses and things aren't punishments from God they're a result of living in a fallen mm-hmm. world and it's the result of sin um, but I feel like that's we need to kind of shout that from the rooftop mm-hmm. sometimes and I think it maybe is slowly changing um, I think um, I, I recently spoke to a woman who was listening to someone in church and they were they were talking about a man who had went through depression and this was a conservative church background and it was an elderly man and he really he just went through a period of depression and there wasn't any event but mm-hmm. it was quite public and people knew and he did come through it and come out you know the other side and you know from my friend telling me this she said it was like nearly the best thing could have happened within this mm-hmm. church that she's seen because it was like a good example of how it's not a an affliction it's not mm-hmm. something hysterical women go through or moody teenagers mm-hmm. or it's not when you have a baby it's anyone even elderly mm-hmm. men that wear suits and can preach and but they can go through it and mm-hmm. it, it's an illness and they can come out the other side and it kind of was like representative showing people like this is okay it's okay to tell yeah. people it's not a lack of faith or because you don't do enough good service for god it's it's just something that happens and i think the more that people are open and honest about it and um, the more it'll help that because yeah. of course we know that there are many people who suffer from mental health and they do hide them especially in churches mm-hmm. and community settings because of fear of what people will think yeah. of them you know i think it's it's great to see in churches i remember you know you got the altar call you know anybody who's got a sore knee or um suffers from headaches or whatever mm-hmm. it may be and it was always physical you know come we'll pray for you and you know there's a few have been at more recently where they're like going to, you know i have a sense people may be struggling here with depression or mm-hmm. people struggling with mental health issues will come and and you know that altar call happening which is great that people are, are doing it i still think there's a reluctance of people to go forward and go yeah that's me yeah you know i'm the depressed one yeah. um you know so i i still think i, I still experience that people are not sort of kind of going forward as easily when it's like you know oh yeah but pain in my back um but it's been named and it's been it's being talked about more within churches that people are up in the pulpit and talking about mental health yeah and talking about the struggles that they've had and and uh, you know, sort of making that more acceptable and mm-hmm. there is that bit around I think part of it is noticing mm-hmm. noticing those people that 
often miss church because they just can't make it that day. It's just too much for them to, to go yeah. that morning and finding, well, how do we bring church to them? Yeah. You know, that's the, the as well, that it's not just contained in, in a building. Yeah. So it's great that somebody can listen to a, you know, the service that they missed on a podcast or whatever yes. it may be. But it also is that how do you follow that up with that connection, not yeah. contact with someone? Yeah. Say, you know, we noticed you weren't there. Is everything okay? And um, yeah. is there anything that you need? Or you know, that kind of bit, because sometimes people can feel that they're just falling through the cracks. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, that's the perfect way to approach it. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Is there anything we can do? You know, rather than from the angle of, so you weren't out again mm-hmm. on Sunday or, yeah. you know, are you, are you going somewhere else instead of putting that on them as something mm-hmm. that they've done? Really just asking about how, what is, what is going on? And um, that could make all the difference mm-hmm. to someone completely, you know, breaking away from their church family or maintaining that connection, you know, as they move forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also understand what it's like for some people to be in that, you know, for some people with particular anxiety to be in that, proud and to be mm. in that setting or even to work walk into a church for the first time and not you know lots of people that they don't know and worry that you know are they going to have a panic attack or are these people going to understand that uh you know i have certain struggles and, and are they going to judge me and and all of that that is such a barrier for people even getting in through the door and then it is the uh, well you know now that we have got this and people maybe sort of saying, you know, I do have this struggle and I, I'm struggling with my mental health and this is what's difficult for me. Then there is that bit of, right, well, 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 we know it. And then it's like, okay, well, let's just never name it again. You know, mm-hmm. there is that bit of, well, okay, well, how can we help you? What yeah. do we need to do? And and keep that as an ongoing thing and, and open up um, the opportunity maybe through churches to have some support groups mm-hmm. happening for different things so that, Church becomes more than just somewhere that you go on a Sunday. It becomes somewhere where, you know, actually I come to a support group in here um, mm. during the week to help with whatever it may be. And, and I meet like-minded people and we're all sharing that together so that this, there's, there's just a deeper connection that goes yeah. on and more support that's being offered. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's definitely one thing that I think all churches they're going to call themselves a church and say we believe in Bible and God and salvation and love and generosity and compassion. That should really be part mm-hmm. of what we're what we're doing. Um, and even making it that open, as you say, that just normalizes it mm-hmm. even more. Um, and then it does lead to things like people being educated in it a bit better because you're opening the door and people will be curious. And you know, I think that's so it can only yeah. be a good thing. And it is. Uh, sometimes people worry about you know, people who are very low and. And shy away from asking directly, especially around suicide. People kind of go, oh, if I ask, I'm going to put the idea in their mm-hmm. head, you know, and that's, that's so far from it. Yeah. You could do any of the training, like, you know, like a sister, um, first aid, mental health, any of those. I mean, I think there's something that um, anyone can go on and yeah. it's useful to, to do that uh, for anybody that's interested, like, oh, well, well, to give you a bit more confidence mm-hmm. and that will help people to kind of know if you're concerned, if what to look out for, if there is sort of little signs, it's better just asking, are you thinking about taking your own life? Are you feeling suicidal? Has that something that you've thought about? Rather than not ask and you know, something to happen and thinking, oh, you know, I should have asked. So 
there is courses as well that are yeah. that are out there for, for anyone to be able to go on through the trusts and things that and action mental health things like that there which will yeah. do blogs yeah. to be able to to know what to do if someone says yeah i am yeah feeling absolutely. suicidal yeah. and and then they kind of go okay i've done something around this i know how to hold that person long enough to get them to the support that they need so yeah. it's that's why sometimes they go, oh, if they tell me this, I, I need to be able to fix it. Yes. It's like, you don't need to be able to fix it. I can't fix everything. Yeah. I'm not an expert in mental health by any yeah. means. I know how far I can take someone. I will, I know, and that's one of the big things as well. I know when I need um, other support in place. I know when I need to get them to their GP or NA or whatever yeah. other mental health services in place. That That goes beyond what I can offer. But... That's the bit where that doesn't mean I can't do something. Exactly, exactly. And I, again, would highly, highly recommend that churches, I think whole churches should nearly do first aid mental health mm-hmm. um, and the assist training. As you said, if you're a church leader listening to this, we highly recommend it for your congregation. And again, we're not saying that because we want to make people feel uncomfortable or force them to do things that they're not comfortable doing. It is literally like a first aid approach. It's mm-hmm. like if you have um, done a CPR course and you know someone takes a heart attack in your congregation you are going to administer your CPR that you've done on that day's training you're not going to do open heart surgery mm-hmm. you know you're going to phone and someone else is going to come in and take over and it's the same idea if you ask someone directly are you having suicidal thoughts and they say yes it just means you know what to do mm-hmm. what your next step is rather than as you say maybe not asking and something happening or that person just going on feeling that way yeah which is we can't we just can't have that in the church yeah. of god we can't we can't love people that way just because we're free it. Even for yourself, that uh, for me, I would hate to be sitting with someone and have that niggle and not ask and them to go away and me think and be left with the what mm-hmm. if, what if, what if. I would rather have asked yeah. and know and for me not to be walking away with a what if and what if and if something happens and what am I, you know, so that's the bit where I, I always say with the counsellors that I work with as well, better to ask and to mm-hmm. know and they might, you know, rarely do people get offended. They might go, that would be silly, you know, but they're not, going to kind of walk off on you and go how dare you think that of me or you know, they would yeah. your concern is people will understand the concern yes. yeah. um and so i think it is important for people to equip because mm-hmm. also if you're living out and you're praying and you're saying like god give me opportunities let mm-hmm. me see things then you're going to see things yeah. <laughs> you know you're yeah. going to god will open your eyes and you will see people who are struggling and so you want to be equipped to help them then in that situation, because if you are asking, if you're kind of noticing things and then someone says, yeah, I am, have been feeling that way. Yes, God can give you the words and give you the resources mm-hmm. to do that. But part of that is also pointing you towards some sort of training like a sister, um, you know, like that, that kind of go, OK, I, I know what to, to do in this situation or I've got an idea of how, mm-hmm. how I can help. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we're talking about that, the church setting and those practical sort of things, we need to keep in mind we're not doing it out of generosity of our hearts or to be good people or to be seen as the nice church. We are doing it as part of our mission. And it's like any any outreach we do in our community, we have a great commission to fulfill and it is to to share the gospel with everyone, not just people who we're comfortable with or people who have good mental health or people that don't scare us because we don't know want to understand their lives. And there are people that suffer with mental health health illnesses that feel they can't bring that into a church and so they can't they can't even cross the door. And when church doesn't really come into them, that's it. That's that barrier up. And that's not okay because it's 
our responsibility to share what we've been given um, and that's the big picture of it all you know mm-hmm. and within that we're sharing the gospel we're sharing love we're sharing compassion and mercy and all those things that we we're, we've been called to do and why would we not when we think about what's been done for us and our mm-hmm. salvation and how much we're loved so unconditionally um, you know that's that's kind of my perspective that's where I get the perspective yeah. of this is what pushes me when I feel a bit awkward asking somebody do you feel suicidal mm-hmm. or you know really getting in dig, digging deep and really talking about the nitty-gritty of how someone copes with an anxiety attack yeah. and that's really uncomfortable mm-hmm. to hear when mm-hmm. someone's distressed but I have to be past that push past that and I think that we all have the capacity to do that but it's just overcoming that fear and sometimes as you said it's about praying and saying God give me the opportunity mm-hmm. because I want to help I don't want to be standing on the sidelines only talking to people that look and sound me yeah i'm i'm gonna do it and you know i was reading today again in that the mental health foundation they had a lot of resources and they said that within their survey the people who are most prevalent to suffer with mental health illnesses are and people with disabilities carers the homeless people who um have addictions or Mm -hmm. substance misuse um in the uk it would be black and ethnic minorities and as I read the list, I just I felt like it was the Bible coming out and all those words that we read about, mm-hmm. you know, loving the foreigner and the widow and the orphan and the sick. Um, and I thought that's that's these people, but they're the most likely to suffer. And what are we doing about it? I kind of felt this stern in me, like, what am I doing about it? Because mm-hmm. how often do I actually meet with people that are, meet any of those criteria? Yeah. Generally, I meet middle aged white women with children who are you know who are just like me mm-hmm. and it's it's comfortable and I can sit and chat to you but um would I feel so comfortable with people on that list who I know are more likely to be suffering with their mental health but you know what am I doing about it yeah and, it just, and they're less oh. likely to go into counselling you know yes. the research shows that that people you know um from ethnic minorities and um with disability and things are less likely to access counselling mm-hmm. um for lots of different reasons and sometimes around accessibility issues and things like that there but that's sometimes the people that need it the most are the ones that can't get access to it and and part of that is to do with yes there is it's it's, there's brilliant organizations out there that offer free counseling and they have lots of fantastic volunteer counselors that do that but it's you know it is difficult to sustain that and again the demand is um so high that it's there's, there's usually waiting lists and then it's the people who can afford it that yes. can access counselling sooner with the, you know and, and so um it, it's there is a frustration around that about yeah. what a, what about the people that that can't um afford it and the people that need it or the people that can't access it because maybe they are single parents or mm-hmm. they don't aren't able to to travel or you know so there is that bit around I think counselling can go a long way but that's why it is not the answer yes to everything, everything. Yep. says the counsellor sitting here who um talking yourself out of a job but there is that <laughs> bit around you know that's why I kind of think there is a role for it and certainly there's certain things that you do need training to work with and even with me around the counselling training there's certain things that I still wouldn't work with because it needs um psychiatry for mm-hmm. example so there's there's no one your limits but there is a lot that we that we can do and like we talked about before loneliness and isolation is a big um a factor in people developing mental health problems so that's something as a church that we could do an awful lot about yeah by opening our doors and having things for people to come into so that they are feeling less isolated and yeah. less lonely uh you know people who are uh, 
you know, not able to, uh, you know, who aren't working or who are single parents or whatever it, it may be, that we can open open doors and have the opportunity for people to, to come in and meet together and just have a coffee. And that doesn't take an awful lot to, Absolutely. to be able to offer that facility. Um, people that have been impacted by uh, financial issues. So again, it's having resources there uh, like uh, CAP or mm -hmm. wherever it may be that we can refer people into to get help so that can improve that. People have been through bereavement, uh, you know, big life changes. It's been aware of of all of that, especially with people that we maybe are journeying with and kind of not assuming that if somebody goes through a big life change, oh, they're going to develop mental health issue. Yeah. It, it's a lot to do with their own resilience and, and what support they have in place, but also kind of looking out that, that they may and, and giving them the opportunity to, to talk about how they're feeling and knowing that it's more likely. I remember meeting a woman and she talked to me about her depression. It just And she was like, going, it happened after my mum died. And she said, I was fine. It was a year later that, yeah. that this developed. And she said, and I, she couldn't understand where to come from why she had found it so difficult um, and he was really trying to make sense of everything and that was the bit but part of it was when we were kind of chatting she was like going I felt like everybody else had moved on and I, I was stuck mm -hmm. and then she kind of kept starting getting frustrated about her stuckness and you know things just kind of snowballed so it's um, but again that just came from from having a chat to somebody and yeah. letting them talk and it, there was no specialist training involved in yeah. Helping her kind of go, oh, yeah, that's what was going on. And yeah, I can see that. And also being able to point out, but look what you are achieving. Look mm -hmm. at what you are doing. Yeah. Um, because as I'm sure you've experienced in, in mental health, a lot of it is around um, how people, the perspective people take on things and how they view things through a particular lens. Yeah. And that lens is one where they're doing basically a crap job and that everything's wrong and everybody's negative about them and they're negative about themselves. And it's been able to start to gently challenge that perspective, yeah. helping them to maybe consider that how they view things is not necessarily how things are realistically yeah. and certainly not how God sees them. Um, you know, and so I think before we start the Great Commission in terms of preaching the gospel, you know, it's... It's fine to go and say, you know, Jesus loves you. It's that can be so far from how anyone feels. Yeah. That, you know, it means nothing to them. Yeah. Um, you know, and doing the Jesus dried and cross and they're like, that's yeah. nice, you know, but I yeah. don't feel like I can lift my head off the pillow. Yeah. So there is that bit around sometimes putting the the work in oh, and yeah. seeing yeah. it uh seeing what that means. Yeah. Through how you you are with them. Yeah. Um, be like okay now I want to hear about what you what this bible's all about yes absolutely. now that I've seen it being you know lived out mm -hmm. yeah tell me a bit more about that now yeah as that living I would just maybe need to focus on sometimes and you know it reminds me of the last podcast and um, Ronnie was speaking about vision and he said you know it's very difficult to tell someone about Jesus down on the cross and that he loves them if they haven't had anything to eat that mm -hmm. day and he was coming from a very practical perspective of you know why they would they would feed people mm -hmm. in, in the job and ministries. And it's the same kind of idea. If someone yeah. is, you know, literally can't lift their head, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. To even a person of faith who, 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 you know, has a strong faith, but is going through a really tough mm -hmm. time of depression, for example, 
it still might mean anything yeah. to them. It might be that going to them, working mm. out what it is you need to do for them at that point and bringing them through, you know. Yeah. Which is a bit scary to some people because it's very easy to lift a Bible. It's very easy mm-hmm. to quote a verse or to send a very nice card with, you know, scripture on it. It's it's a bit harder to go into somebody's house and say, okay, well, what's it like for you today? What can yeah. I do? And then to pour their heart out and, you know, you don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, sitting. I remember when I first went into counselling and my first client and I remember it was a young person and they come in and the police brought them and stood outside the door and uh, yeah, great first client yep. and they come <laughs> in and they started telling me all this stuff and I just remember starting to feel overwhelmed of like, how am I going to fix this? And that's where I went to in my head. It's like, how am I going to fix this? This is, I can't fix this. This is just too big. And this panic starting to, to rise and it's something a lot of counsellors experience when they're kind of training and they start to hear the client story and, and they go to the oh, what am I going to do about this what am I going to do about this mm-hmm. and while you're doing that you're not hearing what the client or what the person is saying you're going into the rescue mode of yep. you know and, and the thing so I remember like kind of you know somewhere thankfully catching hold of myself and kind of going okay breathe and starting to hear you don't need to fix this yeah you just need to be yeah. here yeah. Um, and. It's one thing that I still sometimes need to remind myself of when I'm sitting there and uh, me, mainly young people start to tell me their story and I start to go, oh, this is a big one. And, you know, what am I going to do? about? What am I going to do with mm-hmm. this? And then I have to kind of go, hold on. That's I'm not going Fix to it. do anything. <laughs> I am, yeah. you know, I'm going to listen yeah. and together we're going to find a way through this. Yeah. Um, so I think that is something that it can be useful for people to remember when, you know, they, they ask someone like, you know, and, and what can we do? Or how can I, and the person still like, kind of go on, you can't help. There's nothing you can do. And then you're sitting there thinking, oh, well, what do I do? Or how do I, you don't have to necessarily do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, just be. That, that is the bit. And things will usually open up yeah. as you're there. And as you kind of are, just keep showing up. And it's like, oh, this person means what they say. And so you start to get little opportunities and little glimpses and little, you know, sort of chinks in there. Um, because a lot, sometimes people with who've been through mental health services or been through mental health difficulties sick of of help because mm-hmm. it's just like pass from service to service and it just things don't seem to get any better and invest in one thing and next month they're passed on to somebody else or I mean, and that is a, a difficulty with mental health services in general at the moment because there is uh, such a demand. A lot of it is short-term intervention. So it's very hard to get long-term support um, and long-term counselling even anywhere. It's, you, you go in and, and you maybe got sort of 68 sessions. Yeah. And that's hard to do an awful lot in. Now, you can mm-hmm. do quite yeah. a bit in that time, but sometimes people need more or they've been through that and they're kind of thinking I do that and then I'm out the door where when they experience somebody who's like you know hold on there's a this is a couple of months later and they're still mm-hmm. visiting me or they're still kind of checking in or they're yeah. still asking and they still remember um that is something that I think we can offer um as as a church that a lot of you know it's one of my frustrations in in the counseling mm-hmm. in that I can't 
because of the, se- the setting I work in, there's some issues I can't work with. It's not appropriate, but also there's some of them that, that needs longer term support. And that's not something that, that we're set up to work with because we've so many people needing the service. So we can't work with one people, one person for a year and have five sitting on the waiting list. You know, yeah. we have to kind of keep working that way. But um, when you are, you know, an ordinary person coming alongside somebody, you don't have those same limitations, yeah. you know, on it's it's a different different level absolutely and you know it's just maybe about persistence as well and if you're if you have the mindset of that kind of fixer or rescuer that i think we all have a bit of that mm-hmm. and some maybe to other degrees when maybe after a few visits of something often changes or you don't get anywhere there is that temptation of oh, i can't do any good mm-hmm. to do you need to say a professional you know and yes in some cases yes people do need you know professional health care people in their lives quite soon but Generally, if you're befriending someone who's gone through a hard time and they're maybe not even a mental health illness, mm-hmm. but they could be going that way because of circumstance, just being there consistently for a really long period of time can make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just learning how to be, how yeah. to be without using all the little sayings that you've picked up and, you know, things that we really have to unlearn. That's something yeah. that's really struck me from my started studying was that I thought I was pretty good at, at listening and not saying little cliched things. but they come out when you don't realise and mm-hmm. then you see a recording of yourself in a classroom and you think that was an awful thing to say. And, you know, things that people say about bereavement or moving on or mm-hmm. pulling yourself together or time yeah. is a healer and they're, that's not helpful, yeah. you know, and it's about just learning to be without all that jargon. Actually learn just mm-hmm. to be. It, it's a skill that can be developed though. Yeah. I think, and you have to start somewhere. It is. And some of the jargon is true. It, it may be Time is a healer and things like that there, but it, it's not helpful. It's not helpful, no. <laughs> so there is no. parts of it that, you know, yeah, we, we know that, but in that moment where that person is, yeah. no. that doesn't really matter and it doesn't really kind of factor in. No. At that point, it just sounds, you know, it's like that. We've all been through the, the heartache. You know, you've just broken up with your first boyfriend <laughs> or whatever it is and you come home and, you know, mum or dad's been really sympathetic and they go, oh, well, there's plenty more fish in the sea. Yeah. It is true, but it's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yes, yeah. we now happily married. There was another fish in the sea, but at that moment, you know, it was not. It, you know, it's not what you want to hear. No. Um. No. So there is that bit of of understanding that. Uh. And and when it's one of the things that I've learned, um, I say things wrong all the time. Um. Even in counselling, I come out with something, and I'm thinking, wasn't the best thing to say, or now I've said that, it, it come out wrong, backtrack say you know kind of go I've just heard myself say that and I've just realized how silly that sounds or how that might come across as kind of uncaring or whatever I didn't mean it like that yeah so you know don't kind of go oh you know I've I've ruined it now or you know kind of be real that's one of the things I think um certainly I've I've experienced that you can be real and, and when you get it wrong say oh I you know I think I got it wrong and I said this and I didn't mean it that way or, you know, um, I can see by your reaction that I've upset you. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to. What is it that I, I got wrong, you know, to help yeah. me? So that's a bit of people appreciate that as well. Yeah, that that is really being genuine. And mm-hmm. I think that means more than anything you're going to say. You know, I find sometimes maybe if you're listening to someone, your attention can wander a little and maybe you're not giving them your full, but being mm-hmm. able to say, sorry, my mind wandered there. What mm-hmm. was the last thing you said? It's so refreshing. It's yeah. so honest. Instead of, you know, that, that pretense or that facade of looking the part, mm-hmm. actually being there and saying, I need to, I really want yeah. to understand. Can you just say that again? That's so, that's so refreshing. Mm-hmm. And to someone who's gone through a hard time, even more so. 
Yeah. You know. And so. it is, it's, it's, it's understand that it is, it isn't easy being around someone who is very low mm. is draining. You know, you, it, it, it isn't, you come away from that and you're, you're, you know, you can feel drained yourself. It, it can, it, you know, it can pull your energy. Yeah. And, um, so it's recognizing that and knowing that, that I suppose, like I say, it's kind of going and then taking care of, of yourself, but also, I suppose, understanding then and helping the other person understand why maybe other people, there is sometimes mm-hmm. around when you experience something with someone and you're kind of thinking, oh, I, my mind did wander there or I find that. But sometimes it's kind of giving you clues to how they are and maybe why other people are distancing themselves yeah. from them. So sometimes when you've got a good enough relationship, there's things that you can challenge somebody with. Yeah. Kind of go, have you noticed that, you know, you always seem to be a wee bit negative, you know, when you're always putting yourself down or you always seem to kind of, you know, so there's things that when you build up that relationship, yeah. it allows you to help the other person more because you're able to say things to them that they kind of maybe hadn't been aware of that help that will help them then to kind of go, I actually hadn't noticed that I was quite yeah negative. Yeah. I remember working with somebody and every time I left the session, I felt like dragging myself out through the mm-hmm. door. I was just so exhausted by their presence. And, um, and this, I mean, we built up a relationship and, and, and I kind of had said to myself, look, look, tell me, you know, when you look at life, you know, are you, see yourself somebody's positive in the glass half full or the glass half empty or what what kind of way you look at it and they're like oh glass half full and I'm thinking no you're not um and so I was able to kind of go we were talking about this and and you interpreted it this way is that half full or half empty and they're like oh that's empty and I'm like and then we were talking about this and you looked at it this way what what way would you interpret that and it's like oh you know so allowed them to kind of go oh hold on I'm not reacting to situations or I'm not how I thought I was mm-hmm. and so in doing that they they were able to challenge themselves then to kind of go oh I have a different awareness than I had before and I know how I'm not helping myself now mm-hmm. and maybe I'm also understanding why people maybe don't want to be around me so much because no matter what it is I'm kind of doing I'm I'm the Eeyore of the group you know that yep. yep kind of the gloomy um the gloomy perspective so there's things like that there that again through relationship mm-hmm. um it's the good friends that can kind of go, I need to tell you something, you know, yeah. That, yeah. That, that bit. Because I, I know if there's something that I was doing that wasn't helping me or was kind of um, impacting, I, I want people to come alongside and say, you know, you do this and, yeah. and there's, you know, maybe there's a better way of doing things. Absolutely. And as you say, you wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't need it with some where there is a relationship. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't, if a stranger said it, you'd probably be quite offended. Yeah. Whereas if someone that you trust and the relationship is there, can take that yeah. really on board is quite literal so it is that relationship and again we're not trying to like do ourselves out of jobs here there is a place for mm-hmm. professional counseling and psychiatry and um, but but it is the relationships that we all well, have it's, it's done out of love then yeah. and it's, it's experienced as something different than yeah. being judged and exactly. being judgmental people who are listening then and churches who really do want to help and they want to see progress um there are lots of things that we can do and like you and i are no experts julian we'll Mm -hmm. happily say we're not we've so much to learn and we'll be learning our whole careers yep but um i think there are a few things that you know we can do in practical terms so for example 
and um, we maybe someone does come into our church service and they rightly so won't know what to expect and we can understand we'd all feel a little anxious in that situation and if we suffer with for example anxiety that can be heightened and I think I would advise the best thing to do is to be really direct and say welcome and we're really glad to see you and manage the expectation by saying um, there's tea and coffee in the hall and most service will start in 20 minutes and um, you're welcome to go in and help yourself. That managing that expectation mm-hmm. could just put that person at ease that they're not walking in and wondering what way do I go and can I take a cup of tea or where do I sit or yeah. are there seats reserved or what do I do and that you know it's a really practical mm-hmm. thing just put that person on a little bit of ease and I know that would make me feel better if yeah. I was going into a church and I don't suffer with anxiety mm-hmm. so I think that's that's one practical thing that we could all be thinking of when when we're on the welcome team yeah and I think it may be again the welcome team being you know having that welcome team and, and noticing the people that who maybe just go and sit down or who are sitting on their own and just come alongside them and you know introducing yourself just asking you know a small bit keeping it very general uh, you know because sometimes you know going into too much detail people kind of can feel uncomfortable yep. around you know a lot of things in northern ireland it's always like you know where are you from and what do you do yeah and so sometimes that's people aren't kind of thinking well i don't really want you to know where i'm from yep. and i don't you know i'm unemployed at the moment so and that's embarrassing or you know so again it's like you know oh you know, keeping a kind of general chat and making them feel welcome maybe saying a bit about what the church is about and how things roll that morning or that yeah. evening or whenever they're they're there to kind of go, uh, you know, have you been here before? People just kind of generally have a chat and then the service starts and then uh, they're, again, even just sometimes letting them know about crash facilities and, yeah. um, you know, where, where the Sunday school is or whatever it is so that they kind of know, especially if they've got children with them, you know, what yeah. what the can be. Um, for me, I think that, and I suppose it is about just being welcoming and trying yeah. to be sensitive. And I think as well, when you are working with, you know, or helping anyone with um, maybe with mental health, I, uh, with issues, I have a, a plaque that I've got up in my, my office and it says, don't believe everything that you think. Um, and I think that's something that is useful to kind of keep in your mind because a lot of time when you're working with, you know, when I do the work and you, when you're coming alongside anybody that's that's somewhere with mental health difficulties, a lot of what they think isn't helpful, isn't the isn't helping themselves. You know, the, it is a lot of, you know, negative thinking and, you know, uh, distorting the way that they think. And so sometimes keeping that in mind, it's not about criticizing it, but it's also about, you know, don't believe everything that you Absolutely. Um, and also that goes for you trying to help them because you might think I can't do this or I'm mm-hmm. not equipped to do this or you know, whatever. So it, it is that bit for, for me, um, remembering that that uh, sometimes you don't necessarily have to believe everything that you think yeah. about yourself or about another person. I'm open to being transparent. I think that's what we're talking about, that yeah. we're always learning. Um, you have this idea of, of how depression impacts or anxiety impacts or whatever it may be. Um, it's not always like that. And so you need to be open to uh, having that challenged, challenged as well. Absolutely. But not, not making those assumptions. Yeah. As we said earlier, that not assuming we understand what it's like. Yeah. And, you know, for people coming in, I was just thinking when you talked about children coming in, we just kind of assume when we see 
an adult and a child we assume that's a family and mm-hmm. as we know in our experience very often it's not that their child it could mm-hmm. be um, a foster child it could yeah. be someone that they're looking after um, there could be a, you know a, a relationship there that they don't want to disclose to a stranger mm-hmm. initially so don't assume but just come around them on what they want to share it's going to come out if you're really mm-hmm. being genuine and open with them yeah um and i think that that's key that lack of assumptions if we could just mm-hmm. wipe all assumptions and meet someone with fresh eyes it's just a nicer blank slate to start yeah. with because um, there's things that you know you will find easy that I struggle with and there's things that I find easy that you will struggle with yeah. and so there is that idea of not making assumptions just because you're comfortable in this environment that other people will be and uh, that's that's something that I think if if we're prepared to to really look at, at people as they are um, and take that those kind of that view of people then that can make a big difference absolutely i think one of the things i would recommend churches to do is to link in with each other i don't think any church should be responsible for you know their entire congregation because there will be churches that have counseling services attached there will be churches that have expertise within them that maybe run certain support groups so if you know what your churches in your area are doing then you don't have to be the center hub for everything you know, you don't have to be the ones running the bereavement groups or the, you know, the cat groups or the counselling service, but you will be able to refer people in to say, you know, we we don't have a group here, but there is a church down the road that has this on on a Tuesday um, and you might want to link in with that. I can go along with you and introduce you to the person that runs that or the things like that there where you're working in, in partnership and people come out of their silos and mm-hmm. looks at, you know, how can we come together so that we're helping our community and helping individuals within that um, is a big thing as well. It's a great idea. If you would like uh, more information about anything that we've talked about in this podcast, there's different ways that you can get in contact. There is Twitter, and that's at Ordinary GCC. There is also email, which is ordinarypeople at grace-community.church. You can leave a voice message via the Anchor app, or you can also check out our website, which is ordinarypodcast.com. Yeah. Um, so that's we'd love to hear any comments. Um, and again, if there's anything that you need help with, certainly go through one of those um, ways and we will try to signpost you in the right direction.